podcast and want to support more episodes you can donate through patreon visit patreon.com forward slash children of the forest to show your support for the forest school podcast yeah well today actually it was pretty good today i did a play group down river um, at least, say, three or four kilometres down the river, and I found one of our seated uh, uh, logs under oh. a giant tree. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's really changed our landscape and we're missing a few things, so we're looking forward to the water dying down a little bit so we can go and discover them <laughs> down the creek. Has oh, it still not gone back yet? What, what? Oh, it keeps raining. <laughs> Oh. Yeah. It's the wet season. Yeah. Yeah. Here too. It's like um it's raining and grey and stormy and it just seems to be never ending. I read something on Facebook last night that made me chuckle, which was like, it's day five hundred and twelve of the storms, gangs of trampolines <laughs> roaming the hedges and uh, no one yeah. did you have when they didn't look out the window did and they're like, fuck's sake. <laughs> It's a bit hard to hear. Yeah, it oh, is. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what, because we're quiet? No. Any better? How's that? Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Did you have your big dangerous tree cut down? Yeah. We had several cut down. We did. Which was kind of useful because the tree surgeons came down and, well, they wanted to, they were planning on chipping everything and we just went, no, leave it, cut it down and leave it on the floor because we can do all that stuff and the kids can play with it and do whatever. But it meant that they had time to walk around the site and helpfully go, oh, you know, that one's fucked. Oh, and that one's fucked. 
Oh, and <laughs> they, they, oh they, no. Well, better that than we, than we didn't know about them, you know? Yeah. And, um, so much money, though. Mm. Well, it was a it was a set it was a set day rate, so you yeah. pay an amount, and we were like, oh, oh that's good. great. I don't think we would have that. No, <laughs> they would do tree by tree. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think I think they thought it was going to be because obviously they thought a whole day would involve carrying that first tree up the hill to the chipper, then moving all the wood chip, and so they were like, it is a day's worth of job, and then, um. A miser. So when they got there, I was like, "No, no, no, no! You're no, valuable no, no. to me yeah. with a chainsaw and your eyes, your knowledge of trees." Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I wouldn't mind a few extra logs around the place. Now yeah. all of ours have washed away. Even the big tree trunks that had fallen down or had arrived in the last flood, even those ones have gone. <laughs> so we've got nothing to sit on anymore. Yeah, we have to sit on the ground and it's all a bit muddy. <laughs> Everything's washed away. Yeah. But it's made uh, all the flood uh, sticks and leaves and branches There's get pushed up against things. And so okay. it's made natural amphitheatres almost <laughs> yes. of flood damage. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, let's make a cubby in there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We were just um, talking to a friend of mine who's uh, involved in some environmental projects here. And one of the things they're doing... Um, in British landscapes is uh, sort of unstraightening rivers because for the sake of like industry and pretty Victorians who want nice straight things to draw or maps on, all our rivers go straight and so then when the rain comes it all shoots straight down whereas if you have that meandering and the, they've reintroduced beavers because they make it, you know, sort of like you're saying, build banks and stuff and then that slows the water down. Yeah. Yeah, we've got there's nothing we can do to convince some of our children that we don't have beavers in Australia. So when they see these natural dams that the floods create with all the sticks and things all piled up, they immediately say, it's mm. a beaver's mm -hmm. dam. Mm -hmm. And, yep, mm -hmm. it's just so ingrained that beavers make dams, that's a dam, therefore a beaver made it. Yeah. But I think yes. that's similar to, like, even here, like, uh, well, there's two bits, isn't there? There's the fact that all children, even inner city London children, have to learn when they're toddlers the noise farm animals make. Like the sheep goes bar. That even though they'll never see a sheep in their life, they they have to learn those things. But then also that like if we do those songs of like what animals might be in the woods is like tiger, yeah. gorilla, you know, stuff that you go yeah. do you know about badgers? And bluebirds. They always say bluebirds. What's a little bird a bluebird? Like, mm, do you need a blue tip or are you thinking American style like blue jay you know blue bird on my shoulder type American versions of nature. Yeah. I yeah. guess it depends what sort of songs you sing and what sort of nursery rhymes they hear we have a lot of indigenous songs that we sing and a lot of songs about native Australian animals so yeah it's just the beaver thing <laughs> <laughs> and hedgehogs <laughs> we don't have hedgehogs we have echidnas you were saying um, in our chat before we started recording um, about I'm going to butcher the word if you make me say it. What, what is your... Congamary land. There you go. Yes, we would like to do an acknowledgement if it's okay with you. Have we started recording? Yeah. Oh, yeah, like 10 minutes ago. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we, we start every, everything with an acknowledgement to country and that is an acknowledgement that the, the land that we work on and play on and live on and learn on has been looked after by a community for thousands of years before us. Mm. Uh, so, and it is held spiritually within that group as well. So they they hold the heart of the land yes and we are taking care of it so when we do our acknowledgement with children before we start we're reminding them that we are caretakers of the land and that we can't harm anything mm -hmm. or even change even in some places where we go we can't even remove anything so all the sticks and leaves and seed pods have to stay behind as well not not in all places that we go to but in some special places 
So we we are sitting here on Coomba Mary land at the moment and um, we would like to pay our respects to the elders of the past and the present and the emerging and thank them for looking after the land so that we can now. Yeah, mm. that's right. Yeah. And that comes from a connection to the land. So we heard a great um, elder speak at a conference uh, a few months ago and he said, you can't play on the land or be on the land without talking to the land first. So you need to talk to the land and ask the land's permission. And once you make a connection with the land, then the land will make a connection with you. And it will look after you. And yeah. it will look after you. So we like to do that as part of our practice first thing in the morning and everywhere we go. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Are you the elder? No, I wasn't. Oh, so the only, um, obviously, we, we don't have that history really here in England. But um, in a similar way about like, asking permission, we only have one uh, kind of tie to that, really, which is um, have elder trees. So I don't know. I, I'm guessing yeah. they have elder yeah. trees. You know what they are. So um, yes. provide uh, elderflower and elderberries, and the the pith inside the twigs you can hollow them out, and so they're useful for lots of things. It's really ancient, and the the name comes from the old Anglo-Saxon word or Celtic word for fire, because they used to hollow out the pith and use it as a natural like bellows, you know, fire blowing pipe. Um, and the legend goes, you've got to ask the elder before you take anything from the elder tree. It's a really yes. tree, and it's that kind of um, uh, you know, and people do look at you like you're slightly crazy when you say, right, we're not gonna, we're gonna ask the tree's mm. permission before we take the wood, and people are like, uh, okay. Um, but you do get groups on side of doing it. You say you have to ask oh, it yeah. out loud. You can just ask it in your head silently, and um, and the kind of legend goes that there's a spirit that lives in the tree, and it's fe it's a female spirit, isn't it? It's a witch. And, and in it's some it's evil, and some it's good because elderberries are kind of protective and nourish communities and stop them from getting the flu and dying out from kind of um, lung related diseases, um, and kind of been quite protecting that way. Mm -hmm. But also it's said to sometimes come alive, the spirit of the witch, and run around the house and curse you and all this kind of stuff. So, um, yeah. Well, it's very much a story, isn't it, of like. Um the elder was so important, let's say, for medicine, but also for bellows and for yeah. food and for everything else. That I think there's an element of like, if I'm being completely like uh, callous about it, of you go right. We need to make up some fucking mental stories so the kids don't eat yeah. this stuff, and, and you just have to like embed values into a society through stories. Yeah. And the way you do that is some stories are you know, oh, isn't this wonderful? Let's look after it, and some are. I think more of the sort of Germanic, yeah. Germanic style of learning is don't go into the woods because there's bears and monsters and you'll get eaten yeah. and everything, you know, don't go off with strangers because they'll turn you into a puppet and, don't, you know, mm. that, that sort of comes out of fear, doesn't it? Yeah. I always think it's kind of interesting because um, I think there'd be lots of communities around the world that have that idea of um, stewardship and like, you know, we're only here for a bit and we're looking after it. Um, but it's interesting to hear you guys say that, uh, so you ask another group of people. Maybe I've misunderstood the way you were, the, the, the way it was going across. Well, the First Nations people, this is their land and we're imposters. So we, we honour their traditions and their rich, diverse culture by acknowledging their history on this land that we are on at the moment. And it, it, it embeds into all of the aspects of our day, such as the Lamandra plant, Jen. Mm, we ask permission to take that. The Lamandra is a strappy grass that we use for weaving. You can, it, it's everywhere and it's abundant, but in order to take the strappy grass from the plant, it can cut you. So we say to the children, ask the plant if it's okay to take it, grab hold of it, and pull it gently. If the plant agrees, it will yield to you. Mm. And that's a way to say, don't just like grab a great <laughs> clump of it and pull the thing mm. because you'll destroy the plant. Just take one and ask the plant to yield to you. If it doesn't, don't take it. Yeah, and you might not get a grass cut that way. <laughs> yeah, you won't get cut and you won't take too much of the plant. Mm. Little stories that 
um, Indigenous people have shared with us that we share with the children because Indigenous culture is our culture now in Australia. It, it, not now, it always was, it always, it always will be. Um, you guys do a lot of uh, storytelling in your sessions. Is, do you tell a, a lot of Indigenous tales, the stories that you tell? There aren't a lot of Indigenous tales left, unfortunately. A lot of them have been lost along with the language and along with the culture. So we tell the stories that we know um, and that have been given to us from the elders that we work with and the community that we work with. But what we do in our approach is that we through the experiences the children have is we create our own stories yeah. that that talk about the land and share wisdom about the land particularly the children's experiences and um, they become a new dreaming it's not aboriginal dreaming um, but it our stories are along the same lines of learning a wisdom through experience and being able to share that. And we talk to the children about the fact that they're story keepers so that when we do go for a walk and something exciting happens and we stop at that point again, then the children who were there in that experience as the story keepers for that experience, they tell the story and they share the wisdom. And so they've learned how to be quite good storytellers to add to the drama of the story as well and gather in their listeners and um, share the moment that happened right here, you know, for, for when someone was playing tag perhaps um, in the bush and not really watching and then saw a giant python, really big python, and then what did you do? And so they were able to share that experience and, um, and then we can have a little discussion about Safety. Yeah, safety. <laughs> <laughs> and why you don't go running through the bush without watching where you're going. But yeah. you're right, Gemma, we do also tell traditional um, oral storytelling as well at different times of the day. So that's a sit-down affair, mm -hmm. um, stories that come that we do know, stories that you might have told, um, stories that we know, stories that we write. Yes. Jen has written uh, stories for 20 years that she has shared with me and we now make stories together as oh, well. Oh, and with the children. Yeah. So last year our creek ran out of water and was completely dry and that was really sad because we really need water to play because <laughs> it gets very hot here and those 40 degree days you really want somewhere to swim. And so the question was where had all the water gone? It, it was here and now it is not here. So what what's happening? So a, a story has arisen out of that that we actually now tell seasonally every summer because the water disappears. And then when the summer rains come, the water comes back. Mm. <laughs> there it is. It's in the creek again. And so it's about the children inquire and their own inquiry. Did the trees drink it? Did all the animals drink it? Did, the, did it just get sucked under the ground? Does all the water run to the sea and then it doesn't fill up again? So all of those elements that the children were asking about was incorporated into the story. And so we would tell the story to them and get their feedback just via their reactions and um, engagement with the story and adjust it as we go. And every time we tell it, it's a little bit different, mm -hmm. but it's now become one of our traditions. It's, we tell that story in summertime now because the water always disappears. Yeah. Yeah. And last year you you probably know that we had a really bad fire season in Australia. Yeah. It started in spring, which is early. Usually the fires are later than that. And they were directly affecting us, not at our site, but in the surrounding areas. So many of our families were really impacted by the fires and we told stories each day and they evolved as well over the days and the weeks and that was picked up by um, different psychological forums as uh, good practice wasn't it therapeutic practice yeah. yes yeah. and that was amazing we didn't mm. even know that they knew but i guess they were following what we were doing and then talking about it in their professional circles as a good thing to do and storytelling as you know is that powerful mm. and we also tell the stories where you get dressed up and be a bit silly as well yeah 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 yeah. <laughs> those are really important and i can't wait for that i think it's in autumn do you know the one about the hat seller and he wears all the hats oh i think i love that 
yeah. It's a traditional story. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great story. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> oh, I was just gonna. Uh, um, so when we do, um, so the let's call them native culture here is kind of um, a bit of a hodgepodge as the island's been invaded by different people. So there's bits of Germanic stuff here and there's bits of Celtic stuff here and and then, you know, it's been French mostly for a couple of hundred, you know, a couple of thousand years. But um, when we bring stuff in like the elder, you know, asking the elder tree or going, you know, oh, we can't do that because the, the animals are doing this. You know, when you... I don't want to call it mysticism, but that kind of traditional knowledge, um, we've kind of, not intentionally, but landed in a place where we sort of drip feed it. You know, it, it's very sporadic and because it's part of the child-led um, nature of our setting is that we just might sort of walk past the elder and offhandedly make a comment about it. Whereas if you were doing some more, um, if you were doing like outdoor learning, with a school, you might take a whole group of children, you might stand around the tree, and, and everybody is focused on that, um, you know, that one topic. Do you guys find that the children are sort of naturally interested in the um, native, the, like the First Nation cultures, or do you guys drip feed it in, or, you know, have you ever had kids that just go, I'm not interested in that at all, you know, how does that sort of play into the, the you know, how do you marry up that very, ancient and what can be maybe slower learning with modern children and their needs and a child-led setting it's a it's a little bit of all of that isn't it yeah. um because actually we've only just what we learned in primary school about our indigenous history in australia wasn't the truth it's it's really only in the last i don't know 20 or so years yeah i i guess that that our country is waking up to the fact that we made a bit of a mess of things, a big, big mess of things. Yeah. And uh, we are now finding out the extent of the damage that's happened to our Indigenous cultures across Australia, and it's awful. So there, there's a lot of um, misinformation still and a lot of prejudice still, but also it's missing from our curriculum and it's just starting to come back now. People are really yeah. starting to bring in Aboriginal culture um, in, and Islander culture into schools and starting to look at the language and the stories in through schools and um, connecting to country through identifying plants and mm. animals along with learning Aboriginal culture too. So for us, it's quite natural for us to stop and talk about what we mm. know and share what we know in the same way that you do. But then sometimes we have, when we do our acknowledgement, we stop and we make a point of saying why we're doing it. Don't yes, we? absolutely. Yes. And I think it, it changed in Australia and the focus is on embedding Indigenous culture into everything we do in the early years when when the the early years learning framework that the government um mm. came up with i forget the year it came in but that that was designed to embed indigenous culture into the early years so that it normalizes and for the next generation coming through that that culture is just embedded in what they know it's just an everyday thing so they understand that it is their culture now they won't know any different. It just is. Mm. We we speak the language. We you we uh, sing the songs. We do the stories. We try and think in the way um, Tyson Yunker Porter's mm. book Sand Talks, Sand Talk, Sand Talk. Sand Talk. Mm. He he. That's an amazing book. That it's really good on how Indigenous cultures will save the world. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah. Do you find then that you're almost um, meeting parents, uh, supporting them on two fronts because you're meeting them with this, first of all, this idea of like, you know, we're going to go out into some risky wilderness and we're going to go and do these things that are, you know, high risk activities and that the children have this independence, but also you're, um, challenging is the wrong word, but you're putting out a different view than like you say, they might have learned in school, but that you're also going, here's some indigenous culture that's different. So there's a lot that's different that the parents are meeting. 
But I think as a society, Australia is growing to understand mm. that this is our culture. Mm. Everybody is learning that. It, it started happening back when they had the National Sorry Day, the reconciliation, the apology from the Prime Minister. Uh, we have walks. We have, we have a lot of important dates that we celebrate Indigenous culture. It's becoming more normal. So it's, it's not foreign to people of our generation now. It, the only generation that it's too late is the older generation. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's a, that's a good sign, isn't it? That's a really positive sign that you, that you would go, you know, a, a population that, you know, on, on average are we living now for sort of 100 and you're only taking 20% off that and going, okay, they've yeah. got other stuff going on, let's say. Um, and that you know you've been part of a movement that has had this effect on a wider society. That's that's got to be a big positive to take away. Yeah, maybe Australia's growing up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fingers <I'm>, crossed. Yeah. <laughs> I've been asked a couple of times if I have Aboriginal heritage, based solely on the fact that we sing songs in Kumbumeri language. Yeah. Um, but uh, that's a beautiful opportunity to talk about why we why we would include this. It's not just a passing interest. I, I don't have Aboriginal heritage, uh, but I think it's very important that we celebrate our own country's history and mm. our own country's well continuing culture. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. Colonialism mm. in Australia ha has left many impacts and one of them has been our Indigenous culture. The other impact is the ecological um, change that has occurred. So that's why that's important for us as well to work on projects um, that will assist the uh, environment. And, and as you know, climate change is huge and Greta and the next generation are the people that we'll, we will need to help us along that journey. I wanted to ask you about um, animals. You mentioned uh, python and echidna. Do you, um, when you take kids out of the bus, do you see wildlife on nature that is very different to wildlife that they would see if they didn't go out into the bush? And what is their response to that? Yes. Yes. yes, we see spiders every day. Yeah, we see prawns, uh, leeches, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> ticks. Unfortunately, ticks. Um, a great big caterpillar yesterday that comes from a hawk emperor moth. So it would have been about this big, oh, wow. as big as yeah, mm. gigantic. That ca one caterpillar. So whenever we find things, we're learning as well. We say to the children, of course, I don't know what it is, but I'll find out. Mm. We we'll get. Go we go home and we'll look it up. We get yeah. visited by wallabies and kangaroos. They keep their distance, but it's always a delight to see them. I mean, we've all seen kangaroos here, but it's it's still so wonderful to see yeah. them because they are wild creatures and they're enormous. Yeah. With snakes, yeah, snakes. snakes. Snakes are almost a weekly occurrence. Uh, oh, at playgroup today, there was a hose uh, from hanging in the tree that looked like a snake. Yeah. And the playgroup people were all saying, <laughs> Oh my gosh, is that a snake? And I said, and I raced over, and a, another man raced over, a dad, and he said, No, no, I think it's a hose. And I went, Oh. And they all said, Narelle, you're the only person that would be going, Oh, it's not a snake. <laughs> I thought it was a tree snake. It wasn't, a, it was a Peter hose. What did I hear them call the other day the danger noodles? Danger yes, noodles. It's a danger noodles. <laughs> Incredible. Let's yeah. start up a second forest hall. You've got to call it Danger Noodles. <laughs> Danger Noodles! <laughs> to the rescue! Yes. So um, we know they're there. We, we don't have many close encounters with the snakes, though. You know, they might be up in a tree or they're passing by on the path. But we've never really had too many. No, one was hanging yeah. above my head when I went into the little gnome house area. Um, and I promptly mm. went oh, and yeah. banged my head. May and have it... to explain the gnome house. Oh, the gnome house. <laughs> the gnome house is this twisted vine um, place that's like wilderness and you have to crouch down really low to get through it and it's a bit spiky but it's ever so exciting because it, all the vines are wrapped around an old um, tree stump 
and there are almost windows mm. at the bottom of the uh, log and then windows uh, halfway up. And so we made some gnomes by cutting on an angle the, the pieces yeah. of wood and painting the faces and they're all in the gnome house. And we go and check if they've moved every day. Where are the gnomes? They're on holidays at the moment because they got a bit washed away. <laughs> I don't like going in there at the moment because it's actually more full of mosquitoes than anything else. <laughs> mosquitoes have been horrible right now. Yeah, I think there's something universal about um, animals and particularly like, I would say anything bigger than a cat where you, we've talked before about that it's something you can't shortcut. So uh, there's a lot of stuff that kids, like the instant gratification of stuff is very prevalent in, in a lot of their life. It's kind of, if you want that, you can get it now. If you want to see that thing, you can get it now. If you want to hear that song, you can get it now. But you can't cheat a wild animal. Like if you move, they're going to run. You know, and so the fact that you have been, it's almost like, that you've been like accepted or that you've been normalized to them and you can't you can't cheat that you can't just go like oh well if you pay a hundred quid you can get closer to them do you know what i mean it, it, there's something i don't know affirming well, about it weren't we talking the other day about um uh yeah kids like it's an amazing learning opportunity that you can go oh listen listen oh look look there's a there's a creature and uh child will go We do that with koala sightings, don't we? Mm -hmm. We go to the same tree, we saw the koala and hope it's there, but it's not always. No, <laughs> yeah. no. <laughs> and, and so one, you know, we do treat all animals with a lot of respect, but as part of one of the um, projects we're working on, we're um, working with Southern Cross University on a nature play project and we had to design a... Um, a play, play, play. It was a learning experience. A learning experience. <laughs> we don't normally plan our learning experiences, so that was a very strange thing it for was. us. It was, and we had to document it with um, the GoPro. Yeah. We uh, cut open a snake. Oh, it was dead. dead. dead it was dead. Dead one. We'll it was say. dead. Very stinkily dead. Yes. Yeah. A very dead snake. We cut it open <laughs> to see what was inside it. Mm, mush smelly stuff <laughs> bones <laughs> yes um let's not do that again no that was, that was we've done that we don't well, well that we, we didn't like the learning experience <laughs> for a start yeah. um yeah it formalized something that we might have done spontaneously in fact we'd been wanting to yeah dissect something dead for a while yeah. and gave us the opportunity but because we had to document it I don't know, it put an edge on the spontaneity of the the, the learning that the children could have had. We, we um, like things to unfold and evolve, you know, the day unfolds, like the same way you work, I think, and, and see what happens. We have ideas about what we might want the day to be like and the, if anyone wants any of the opportunities, they're all there, but then it can all just change yeah. depending on the children and how they feel and what's happening. And the weather. And the weather. <laughs> well, um, somebody, uh, that, uh, somebody we know is doing a PhD in um, kind of how outdoor well-being affects people who work outdoors. And, you know, they, they were saying there's all this stuff about, um, you know, going for a walk and forest bathing is all very good, but they wanted to look into, like, people who are outside all the time. Does it wear off or does it build up or does it... You know, it's quite interesting. They were saying, you know, how um, asking me about when I was teaching versus what I'm doing now. And they said, do you find you're less stressed? And I laughed for a long time. So I was like, of course I am. Um, but I said, one of the amazing things is just that, like, with teaching and, like, like I said, with those, like, when you plan a learning experience, you're spending so much time stressing about it beforehand. And then on the day, you're constantly assessing and going, this isn't what was on the plan, or this is what was on the plan, or whatever. And then afterwards, you've got to reflect back and go, oh, how would I have changed that? How would I do it? Whereas I said, 
now I turn up and I go, I know the woods will have done something for me. Yeah. It's not in a lazy, mm -hmm. shirking way, but in a kind of like, well, I trust that I can arrive and whatever the forest and the children and the, the environment present, yeah. that, that I can just go with it. That's, and, that's it. It's, it's the kids as well, isn't it? So it's what they bring and trusting that that will be enough, rather than just you as leader. I'm, look, I'm giving you all this information. I'm giving you all these learning opportunities. You're actually trusting that the children will bring stuff uh, enough with them in their in their minds that will create an amazing day, which they always do. Um, yeah, and that comes down to years and years of experience as play workers, don't you think? That you can intuitively know that the forest will provide any opportunity for all the children who come. And that you can respond to that. Yeah. I think it's a very big, it is metaphorically a big trust fall, isn't it? Especially the, the route that Gemma and I have taken from going from very structured teaching where it was very much put on me at least that it was like, you better plan this down to, you know, to minute detail and you better differentiate it for all 30 kids and you better do this and then to, to have that, like you say, it's kind of a building a relationship and a confidence in the natural environment to be able to metaphorically just fall backwards and go, okay, it'll be fine and trust that it will catch you, which is really difficult to do. And, but like you said, but I think a trust fall is the right metaphor because it's not something that you can do slowly. Mm. I think you do have to just go, okay, eyes closed, mm. arms crossed, here we go, mm. you know? Mm. Because we work in sites that are quite large and we go on adventures with yeah. the children and we take them on a quite a long walk. Uh, for our Little Bird Wings, which is our kindy program, we'll walk down the creek and, and scurry through the bush and maybe up the road now and then. And for our uh, older bush club children on Fridays, we'll walk kilometres um, into the wild rainforest with them. We don't know what we're going to find. And most of our learning happens upon the journey itself. And uh, that, that is what it is, mm. isn't it? We can't plan for that. And I guess because it's wild nature and it's not sites, they're different sites, anything could happen and that's it's exciting. That's why we call them adventures. Yes. Let's go on an adventure. After morning tea, we always go on an adventure. Have you guys had to um, sort of not challenge, but I think there's been a bit of a movement uh, here. If you were being very scathing, people might look at Forest School in the UK and people from the outside who don't understand it might go, it's just playing in the woods, you know, and go, I can't believe you need to be qualified to do it, or I can't believe you're charging X amount just to take kids out into the woods and play. Um, and, you know, getting behind that and going, no, there's an ethos behind it. And actually, we've got all this relationship building and we've got this mentoring stuff and, and all of those things. Um, have you guys had similar things with, uh, like, parents and communities around you or do they get it straight away or like do they the perception of forest school in australia is it uh yeah we were going to talk about that mm. because i think in the early years people are starting to understand and this is parents and everyone else but you know the government has a push down of academics in the early years and then there's a push back and then there's a push down and a push back and we play this game but at least um at the moment people are starting to understand that in the early years, children need to play. They learn through play. So the best way to play is in a natural environment. Not only will they feel good being in the natural environment, they can play with the natural environment. So yeah. in Australia, the term bush kinder or bush kindy is really taking off and it's a term and it's good um, there's lots and lots of childcare centres that are that do bush kindy now, which is wonderful. But it's a two-hour program, or it's a or a one day a week, which is also really good. Yeah. Um, but it's it's there's so much yeah. that yeah. there's there's so much that we we just don't know what's going to happen <laughs> you know we we we've got risk assessments coming out our ears but there's still what happens on the spot is what we have to risk assess 
really, yeah. isn't it? So it's quite different to a bush kinder experience, uh, which is joyful and absolutely essential for children to be able to play in nature. But um, we're a little bit different in the respect that we're out all day, every single day. Hmm. regardless of the weather yesterday, and we don't have a building <laughs> yesterday was really 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 raining and it only started raining after we arrived and already set up and then it, it and it quickly turned into a great big muddy puddle right where we had all the bags so we had to quickly undo everything and move up yeah. the hill and reset up everything and set up tents and tarps and gazebos and walls <laughs> and everything and I said to the children and find raincoats. Well, look, we're going to make houses. Help me make the houses. So many houses. <laughs> These children are two years old. <laughs> yes. Let's make lots of houses. Yeah. And I have that experience that's different from um, if I was going completely the other end of the spectrum, you get that thing of like, you're doing the worksheet because we're doing the worksheet today because that's what the worksheet that I've decided we're doing. And then you get that complete, yeah, the face is appropriate. Um, and then you get that other end of the spectrum where you're going like, we have to do this because it is it's raining. It's a real reason. Right? It's, it's not, not a made-up reason not, because you're children. It's an actual real life yeah, situation. The same thing, like, we have to have, if you want to eat this food, we have to make a fire. You can't, you, you, there's no way around yeah. this. It's not just yeah. like, oh, fun to make a fire it's like actually that is a need and we need to do it yeah 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 and, uh, we, and that's where the self-esteem thing comes in i think a lot with forest school and outdoor stuff is that you know children get so much done for them that life is so uh you know practically yeah so many needs are met for all of us and not just children actually um to have that sense of we needed to do something and so we did it and well, we could do it we built our own shelter we made our own and you have a value to the community yeah. you know everybody ate because i got some sticks or yeah. everybody's bags were dry because i helped put that rope up and that is the stuff that is you know in a classroom again if i go back to that other example give a fuck if tommy on the other on the other table finished his worksheet and and you didn't finish yours or do whatever but if tommy helped keep your bag dry or or tommy helped you know you get that Social building, fabric, yeah. and yeah, yeah. and it's almost. It, I think it then helps to develop um, that kind of altruistic thing that we need as a society to keep going. We need to be able to go. I will do things because I can see how they benefit others. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing that I think here state schooling doesn't necessarily hit in the best way. Yeah. That's me being very mm -hmm. middle of the road. Actually, I think it's middle of massively, but. Do you know what I mean? Whereas actually being outside and being all experiencing the cold and therefore helping each other yeah. means that then if you see someone who is cold, you've got a shared experience and you know how you can help them. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And um, we, we are helping parents to understand that teaching and supporting children with resilience is a good thing. Yeah. Now, that, that's really hard. Um, but it's a process. It's a work in progress. <laughs> yeah. Children are capable of so much more than adults give them credit for. Yeah. And, Even and if it takes them a long time to learn it, they can still do it. Yes. <laughs> yes. Come across like you're being like unhelpful or that you're, you know, mm. not providing in the right way. But it's kind of, you know, we do quite a lot of, if we're doing something we'll or, or not doing something if we're not getting involved in play or we're not getting involved in them putting their mm -hmm. coats on but there's a parent nearby we've sort of hit upon the technique of just verbalizing why we're not doing it as if yes. we're yeah. to ourselves or we're chatting so that they don't you know you're almost controlling the narrative so they're not spiraling in their heads going oh my god that kid's struggling to put their coat on and lewis has just stood here you know, la not laughing. Or <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe. <laughs> yeah, all that happened today. Somebody needed to get their raincoat on, and I heard Jen say to him, "You can do it. You're almost there. You've got one arm in. Reach around the back. Grab the other arm. You you're almost getting it. Try a bit more." And he's just almost melting down. Um, and you just kept talking to him and I walked away, but I, I heard him get really frustrated, but he was sort of flapping going, I can't do it. Mm. But the more you talk to him to say, you've almost got it. 
And then he did get it. Of course he got it. Mm. Because we knew he yeah. could do it. That's one of the things that I think, let's say, comes with experience of being outside, comes with experience of play working, of that is almost knife edge pitching, isn't it? Of like, if you pitch this slightly wrong and you're, say, that encouraging about something they genuinely can't do, then you're creating, if I was being extreme, you're creating trauma. But if you, if you don't attempt it a little bit, then you've missed out on some resilience opportunities. And it's really hard sometimes to pitch and go, you know, we have it sometimes, don't we, where we... If you don't know it's hard very well, especially. Yeah. Or, you know, or you're thinking, is there actually a, a real reason why today they can't do that? Maybe they're a bit unwell, yeah. or they're hungry, or they're tired, or they're emotional, and that other reason. But it's, yeah, that very finely pitching of uh, reading all the signs of a person and going, okay, yeah, today is a day where, as you say, you're just flapping, you can do it. Or, actually, there is a need there, and I do need to help you. Yeah. 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 And, and that comes from a lot of experience, does it? doesn't it? And knowledge of development as well. Oh, and also of the children, mm. you know, who you can tell when they're, they're just trying to get you to do it for them. Mm. <laughs> and they, they're perfectly capable of doing it themselves. <laughs> and when they need help, and mm. when it is too hard, because they're tired, or maybe they're coming down with something. But mm. oh, when we come back from our adventures, we're all completely wet, head to toe. We've been in the river, we've been playing, we've been walking through the waters and slipping down on the rocks and, and climbing up and we are wet and tired and hungry, but we cannot eat until we change our clothes. And as Narelle and Claire and I don't change the clothes, <laughs> they have to do it. And they're 18 months, two years, three years, four years, and... Um, we talk, we them, through talk it. them through it and it takes 45 minutes to take the clothes off and put the new clothes on but we get there yeah. and um and then they really really want their lunch by that stage again on this and um i said well that's the thing that not only are i tired but you are three times a day with the children mm. so we're never hungry really we're just eating <laughs> again it's eating time <laughs> it takes so long <laughs> it's okay yeah but you're right our, we could certainly do do with a cup of tea whilst we're assisting for 45 minutes with the dressing oh. and it sure would be a lot quicker and easier if we did it all for them there'd be no learning happening mm. and do you think that's part of the top-down push like you say is that there's not time in state education to allow 45 minutes for changing clothes because it's PE and we've got to be outside in five minutes otherwise yeah, can you imagine that <laughs> yes mm. we have no timetable mm. well it's it's built into the flow of our day we know it's going to take a long time so we come back in time to start that process yeah yeah and before they get too hungry and we've <laughs> seen the results because we work with school kids as well on the holidays We've seen the eight, seven and eight-year-olds that can't get their clothes on and off because well, they also swim and they need to change their clothes and they come and, yeah, yeah. That, that's not good. If you can't dress yourself at seven and eight, come on. Mm. Oh, no, it's really, yeah, it's very strange. And the, the children who've been with us from 18 months who are now three and four, they're very good at dressing. They they take seconds, you know. So we can see the the product there. Yeah. <laughs> so just before we, because we're uh, getting close to uh, the the hour mark, and um, you guys were mentioning uh, last time, but we had some issues recording it about your what are we saying founding, starting up an association. Oh yes, it's done. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> We, we have a, a little group of uh, educators and outdoor teachers and um, what nature mentors like ourselves yeah, yeah, yeah. from southeast Queensland who have got together and started the, so the Australian Association for Forest School Leaders here. And 
it's not incorporated yet, um, but it's on its way. Yeah. And it's just really good to have a community because our focus of working outdoors with children is a little bit different to the bush kinder focus that's happening around the place in Australia. And um, it's nice to have a community mm. to, to share this work with. So we're looking forward to that growing. So it's it's just a little baby group <laughs> at the moment. So is the, is the purpose of, of the group to, to network or to yeah. or uphold some values or to unionise and strike and what, 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 you know, where's it going? <laughs> um, uh, to provide ourselves with um, training for yes. each other as well. We've all got skills that we can share and help each other out with uh, because there is no ongoing training for forest school leaders here we've got the forest school learning institute who come out and we can do updates with them i i did do my level three with them when they started here i think it was 2017 uh but it's no there's no requirement to have the, the level three in australia there's no certificate required because there's no forest school in australia and um, most of our training is just done by people who are experienced mm. and love being outside and have done lots of work in nature with children and it's really growing quite differently here and and we mm. love that that mm. that um it's it's open for anybody who, who have experience with children and experience with nature to come together and learn from each other yes mm. and we we will be doing some training coming up and that's all on our website but there are other um uh, people that would be doing training as well we we did some with uh, sun and stars bushcraft and we did some knife skills and some uh, knots and rope work and that was great fun that was really good oh and he worked with tarps as well the square tarps yes and yeah. also a bit of nature connection as well too and yeah. and that's that's our thing we we like to help people find a way to work intuitively with nature and um, and bring a bit more play work into things. Play work, mm -hmm. I think, is also a fairly new concept <laughs> in yeah. our very structured Australian Yeah, schools. yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm. Yes, it's amazing. They, they don't quite get that yet. That's a new thing in Australia, the concept of play work. I think but it's gaining it's momentum. Almost been and gone. Until here. Um, mm. um, but, you know, we have hope. We've got hope. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes, we need yeah. to revive it. Yeah, well, I think I think it's going to wear a forest school mask, and I think it's going to sneak in that way. I think you'll see a lot more um, people sort of, yeah, I guess it's sneaking it in through the back door, if you like, of mm. forest school is a, over here is a buzzword, and we're only, I'd say we're at the, the, the peak of a, a wave of everything outdoors was called forest school, and we're now sort of starting to get a bit of a snowball towards people going, well, actually, outdoor learning is a different thing to forest school and bushcraft mm, school is yeah. a different thing. And, and that kind of differentiation will, I think, lead more people who have a play working bent, if you like, into a forest school avenue because yeah. it doesn't fit in bushcraft school and it doesn't really fit in outdoor learning, mm. but it does come through, uh, yeah. in, through forest school. There was an, an article in the Garden newspaper about is your child's forest school really forest school? And that was pretty amazing for us all as a community to read that and go, okay, well, actually, it's just your average. Yeah, is it just a gimmick? Is it a marketing ploy? Or are they actually uh, using the forest school principles? Here's what the forest school association is, this kind of stuff. And uh, that was, yeah. Pretty well, a bit, a bit like you guys were saying that um, although we have a forest school association, they're not a governing body here. They have no, you know, we have no right to stop anybody who. Uh, just says, oh, I'm going to start a forest school. You don't have to have any qualifications. You don't have to have done any sort of courses. Um, so again, our forest school, I say our, the forest school association here is working really hard to champion some core principles and to provide, for us, it's been a really good resource as a, a, a shield is, is possibly the wrong term, but um, when schools that we've worked with have said, oh, could you do Vikings this half term? We've been able to not just not just go. Well, we don't want to do that. We've been able to go. Ah, our our association body won't let us do that. And it, unless and the kids, of course, arrive one day and go, we want to play Vikings. Then of course, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're not going to we're not going to plan that in advance. Yeah. So for us, having an association has been really good to network and to meet people and also to yeah hold up those standards and go. 
it, mm. it is this and it isn't this. And it sounds yeah. a bit like that's what you guys are going for as well. Those yeah. conversations that we'll be having here that's as right. well. We, yes. we've, we've thought about mm. that and we mentioned it at the first ever meeting we had and we would like to do similar things, core principles, maybe memorandums of understanding. Uh, yeah, lots of good things. And, and just basically support each other and promote each other maybe too. So the buzzword here is nature play at the moment. So Forest School hasn't really caught on as such, but uh, nature play seems to be a, a fairly new concept over the last, oh, and maybe maybe the last 10 years it's, mm. it's grown in popularity. Um, but it really means just getting outside and be outside and you can do nature play in your curriculum as well. And if you need to do Vikings outside, you can do Vikings outside. My kids do Vikings at school still too, you know, but as, and, um, and they, so you can take your lessons outside and do outdoor learning too. And that's nature play and you can bush kinder is nature play what we do is nature play so i think i think that's another name for it you can even bring buckets of nature into your early childhood center and play with them <laughs> and that's nature and play that's too nature yes. play too <laughs> is that what we're saying it's a spectrum <laughs> and that's okay you know at least they're doing something that's great yeah. raw materials loose parts yay play mm. Yeah, I'm not feeling though that the best sensory experiences are really outdoors. Yeah, you know, playing with real mud in the mud. Mm. (laughs) Yes, if you want mud. Yeah. Mm. Well, before we uh, let you go because it's uh, evening for you guys, is there anything else you want to add? Is where you know, do you want to let people know where they can find out about you or about your the training that you're putting on? Yes. Yes. Our website is birdwingsnature.wordpress.com. That's it, isn't it? Yes, yes it, is. it is. Facebook page is Birdwings Forest School and Instagram is Birdwings Nature. Yeah. And so all our courses will be on there and we've got uh, nature mentoring and play work coming up. And uh, we like to do journaling as well, uh, visual documentation and creative journaling with children. So we've got one of those coming up too. And at the end of the year, the ecological storytelling, which is a full day workshop on how we incorporate stories um, in, com- in terms of coming to know yourself within your local environment mm-hmm. and about your local environment and creating stories to share that way. Yeah. Um, on. Yeah. <laughs> well, one day we'll work out how to do it online, but we're too oh. busy working. <laughs> I want to do your things yes, too. I know. You do great cooking on the fire. Yes, that's not something we do a lot. Yeah, of. Mm. we we will do more this winter mm. on the fire. You inspire us. Thank you. <laughs> we'll have to meet somewhere, like maybe in like Turkey, somewhere in the middle. So we can... No, <laughs> Bali. Yeah, okay. come to Bali. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you for your time, guys. Thanks a lot. Great to chat with you. Bye. If you like this podcast and want to support more episodes, you can donate through Patreon. Visit patreon.com forward slash children of the forest to show your support for the Forest School podcast.